Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, for life, for victory, for your commitment as the groom to us as a bride. Father, as a bride, we look other directions every day. Many moments of the day, we're looking other directions, trying to find what's best for us, lacking the wisdom to fully understand how good you are and how faithful you are and how you and you alone are all that we need. So give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're continuing in the book of James. James has been stepping on many toes, which is a good thing. I've enjoyed it. I think I'll continue to enjoy it. So um, this week we're on James chapter four, and this is the second week. So if I wanted to title this message or just give you a premise for it, um, I would say humility cures worldliness. James chapter four, verse six. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. James gets right into it. God opposes the proud, shows favor to the humble. James is also referencing Proverbs 3, verse 34. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. So what does God do? He shows favor to the humble. So if I want to receive God's favor, how should I walk around? In humility. What I believe James is trying to say in verse six is that those who submit to godly wisdom will be given grace from God to put into practice a godly life. You hear that? Those who submit to godly wisdom will be given grace from God to put in um, the, practice of godly, or the practice of a godly life. I want to live a godly life. Who wants to live a godly life in here? We're a participating church. I want to live a godly life. It's really unique during this very specific season to live a godly life. Corona, masks, injustice, not knowing what to believe about any of them. Facebook, YouTube, Netflix, Hulu, Sports being closed, sending kids to school, keeping kids home. We need godly wisdom during this time. And we can only receive it by living a life of humility before him. As I was putting this together this week, I was burdened by the fact of how often we look to weird places for wisdom. We have become too prideful in our resources and ways. Just prideful. We think we know it all. We think we know how to do it. We, we become very self-centered. That God might be getting to oppose us as a nation. You realize that? God might be opposing America as a nation because we have been opposing him within our hearts and walking in pride for so long. Don't we all need to hear that? Like, love the worship set this morning. You guys both did great. Love the songs and even believe that they're true. They are true. But God can also be opposing us as a nation I want to jump ahead, but we're just going to wait. James has made it clear to us that there are two types of wisdom. That's it. Now look, this is the third time in three weeks I've said that. There's two types of wisdom, godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. Now I want to ask you a question. Are you considering that in every action that you take? 
Someone once told me, they said, every action that you take that you don't know where it came from, you've been brainwashed. And then he continued and he said, I take every action in my life back to the Bible. So he's discerning every action in his life back to the Bible to see if it's godly wisdom or if it's worldly wisdom. Are you pursuing godly wisdom or are you pursuing worldly wisdom in your actions? So when you leave church today and your kids frustrate you or your spouse frustrates you or your neighbor frustrates you or someone in church didn't look at you appropriately and you're like, oh, they're mad at me when really they just had to get home for something. And then you want to have this opinion towards them and you want to start accusing them of things and being frustrated with them and mad at them. Is that godly wisdom or is that worldly wisdom? I hope you guys are starting to consider that. We're going to move past that. So if you are not connecting with God during this season, it's because you are, because you are following worldly wisdom based upon the pride in your life. That's a hard statement, isn't it? Because there's many people who are not connecting with God during this season. James is going to tell us how to connect with him here in a little bit. But if you're not connecting, it's because there's some kind of pride in your life that has deceived you to make you think that you know your own way. And your own way is, is you wake up in the morning, you see what's going on on SportsCenter. Not much, but the NBA playoffs... Reds were supposed to be good this year. They're not. That's about every year, isn't it? You wake up, you have your coffee, and then you have good intentions, right? Man, I'm going to be in the presence of God today. I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen to him for a half an hour. Or I'm going to sit and I'm going to pray for an hour. Or I'm going to get into my word. And then you find yourself on Facebook. Scrolling. Scrolling, scrolling, 15 minutes goes by, 20 minutes go by, 30 minutes go by, and then you're like, yeah, I need to get up and do something. And then instead, our wisdom tells us we need to go do what we need to do in the sense of maybe it's we need to go um, clean the barn, clean the garage, mow the grass. So we get off Facebook, and then initially, then our wisdom tells us to go do our chores. And then we're hungry, and we come in, and... We eat some more, and then we see this headline on Facebook, whatever news source you follow, Fox News, MSNBC, ABC, you see this headline, and your intentions for that day were to follow God, but then you see the headline, so then your worldly wisdom tells you to go check out this headline. So then you go check out the headline, and you read the headline, and then now it's four and you need to shower and then now it's five and you got a ball game you have to go to and then it's eight, you're frustrated with, with the call that the referee made and then it's nine and you gotta go home and shower because you were sweaty again. And then you're so tired and worn out that then you go to sleep. Worldly wisdom is giving us good intentions and convincing us that we are who we're really not. The church and believers need to have Jesus as their priority. So it frustrates me. It frustrates me to see how the world has deceived us and how worldly wisdom has deceived us every hour of every day to oppose Christ. And really what it comes down to is, as a church and as a nation, we're going to have to stop and we're going to have to repent and say, Jesus, you are the priority and I'm willing to get rid of everything in my life, everything in my life that keeps me from walking in a true relationship with you. See, but right now as a nation, this is what we're doing. One foot on a boat and one foot on the dock. You're not going to be able to be there forever because the boat starts to move. and You're going to keep on falling and falling, then you're going in the water. And as a nation, and as an individual, take this, you know, sometimes I use nation because I don't want to be the person pointing the finger, but no, if I'm pointing the finger, I'm also pointing it at me, right? Please know that. So as individuals, 
You know what we need to do? We need to ask God for his wisdom. We need to lay down our lives and say, what do you want me to get rid of? What do you want me to get rid of, Father? Do you, do you want me to never watch sports again? Do you never want me to play sports again? How horrible would it be if in my marriage, whenever Macy tried to communicate with me, I just Facebooked. Just, she's, she's talking to me. She's talking and she's talking and I'm just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And then she's trying to communicate her heart to me and I'm just watching Netflix. And she's communicating and she's talking. And then we try to have dinner together and she's talking and communicating and I'm playing Sudoku or whatever you call it. Never played it. I'm probably not smart enough to play it. You just start filling in numbers and fill it up and then you win. Isn't that how it is? <laughs> just put numbers in it. See, God, I'm telling you this. God right now today has been trying to communicate to his church, to you. Make this personal. God's been trying to communicate to you and me. And our attention has been so caught up in worldly wisdom by what's going on, driven by somewhat fear, by somewhat, um, so, there's some wisdom in there too, but, but fear, frustration, doubts, that we've never stopped to communicate back to listen. Is your heart in tune with Christ today? So I've been frustrated to see the American church be so divided during this season. So if you are not connecting with God, it's because you are following worldly wisdom based upon the pride in your life. The honest truth is this, most people, now I didn't say all, but most people don't want godly wisdom. And you're like, well, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Well, look, if, if I want to lose weight, I don't keep on eating two Chipotle burritos a day. Right? I mean, that's the honest to goodness truth, right? If you want to lose weight, you have a plan and you follow it. If you truly want God's wisdom, if you truly want to walk in an intimate relationship with him, then your actions will show it. We learned that in James earlier. So many people actually don't want it. It's, it's this trick that our mind plays on us just to say, hey, um, yeah, I want God's wisdom, but yet our actions don't follow. Most people want momentary satisfaction. So we end up conditioning ourselves to have an endorphin rush by what we buy, where we go, what we watch, who we hang out with, or what we build. To feel happy about that moment like our life matters. All those things within themselves are bad. So don't say if, if you built something this week that you're a bad person. What I'm saying is did you connect with God through it? Did you connect with God before it? And are you connecting with God after it? The church, and every one of us in here needs to hear this. If there's pride in your life, you'll be offended by what I'm gonna say. But if you are pursuing godly wisdom, you will understand my heart. Most people have lied to themselves about their love for God. During the season, that's what I see. Most people, I'm not saying everyone. Most people that I've interacted with. I interact with a lot of people outside of this church too, so don't think I'm saying 75% of the people in this room. But many people have settled for Sunday morning services. That, that's what they've settled for. Their relationship comes down to Sunday morning services. They've settled for giving God leftovers. We've settled for division. We've settled for entertainment. I wanna be honest real quick. How much do I love Ohio State? You guys know that, right? I am a Buckeye through and through, and Michigan fans, I mean, <laughs> Love to see you, Spencer. 
You know I love Buckeye sports. Here's what I'm convicted by this week. You know how many people sent me the Big Ten commission? Uh, the Big Ten, sorry, the Big Ten petition, not commit, whatever. <laughs> the Big Ten petition to play football? Many. Sign this, sign this, sign this, sign this. Now look, I'm not pointing a finger at you if you signed it. Here's what I want to say. I will not sign it. You want to know why? Because God could be at work in that. God could be removing an idol within my life. And if I really love God, I will take those Saturdays, and I'll take those Saturdays that I poured in watching young adults play football, and I will pray. But here's what convicted me this week. More of my friends, many of my Christian friends, spent more time filling out a petition for Big Ten football to be a thing than they did sitting down and reading God's word. Can you believe that? And there might be some of you in here who filled out the petition this week and didn't spend one moment in God's word. Now am I pointing the finger at you? No, I'm saying God's grace is there to give you his wisdom. That if you would humble yourself, he can deliver you so that you can see what is truly happening in this world. More people have spent time protesting and tweeting and posting videos about football than they have Christ. And that's where I say, you tell me that you love God more than you love insert, but in reality, I haven't seen anything on your Facebook about Jesus Christ being Lord and Savior. All I've seen is Big Ten football or politics. So you really love God? Really? No. Don't deceive yourself. I will not. I will not protest football until I protest abortion. So you're a Christian, huh? We need to protest what's God's heart. I need God's wisdom, right? Because you wanna know what, you wanna know what my wisdom says? I need a break. So the four hours of Buckeye sports, I just need a break. We don't, I mean, look at what's happening in this world. We need to be in tune with God's spirit. We need to be able to be driving and God say, turn right, right here, to keep us from people who are being drugged out of their cars and beat up. Any of you guys seen those videos? There's people in major cities. Antifa is stopping traffic, pulling people out of their cars and beating them. Like, you can't move beating. Like, you're in a coma for a couple months beating. Maybe if we weren't listening to sports radio and we were listening to the Spirit of God, he would have said, turn left. Do we really have time as a generation to keep on being distracted by what's going on in the world? It's a hard message, it's a hard me message for me because I don't wanna give it up. Because what I've been raised into is um, to appreciate Buckeye sports, to worship Buckeye sports, to value Buckeye sports, to gear my week around getting through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so that when I get to Friday, there's Mechanicsburg football, and then when I get to Saturday, there's Buckeye football, and then when I get to Sunday, there's Detroit Lions sh shenanigans. I mean, <laughs> they make it easy for me. If I was a Michigan fan, it would be really easy for me to give up the Big Ten football season. Spencer's like, I'm leaving this church. But we've been conditioned, right? We've been conditioned of the things that 
are supposed to sustain us. And God says, no, you are not of this world. I have a different kingdom for you. So if I keep on living into the world's wisdom and what the world says I'm supposed to do, no wonder why I'm hurting and broken within and feeling like there's no purpose within my life. We must be willing to get rid of all those things. All of them. I'm not saying God will take them. We must be willing to let go of all of them. To truly trust Jesus. The church, every single one of us needs to hear this. No wonder why this nation is a wreck and the church can't point the finger at anyone other than itself. We as the church have spent more time fighting for football, talking about football, debating masks rather than Jesus than being in his word over the past several months. More than we've been on our knees, more than we prioritized prayer, and the list can go on. Can anyone relate, or is it just me? Here's the good news. I said this last week. I hate construction sites where you have the single lane roads, right? Because they're working on the other side, and you got the stop the guy out there holding the stop sign. I hate him. Don't delay me, don't delay me, don't delay me. But the fact of the matter is that stop sign's there and the man's standing there to caution you and tell you to wait because there's someone else that you can't see on that road. So in spite of how frustrating it may be, no matter how mad I get at that guy, and his feet must hurt. I mean, just, if I were him, I'd start turning into like those um, liberty tax people. Blah, 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 huh. Right? I'd be so bored out there. But he's holding the stop sign so that you both don't go on the single lane and hit each other and die. See, there's hard scriptures, not because God is saying he hates us, not because God is saying you're a horrible person. There's stop signs in scripture about pursuing godly wisdom because we've been pursuing earthly wisdom. There's that stop sign and that caution there to say, stop and repent and turn to me. There's grace, there's love. Everything can look different for you in an instant. See, everything can look different for you in this instant, in this moment. If we're just willing to let go of everything that's getting in God's way. We're pursuing worldly wisdom and that's pride at work. That's why we have a nation that doesn't know God's heart. That's why we have a nation pursuing lawlessness in every direction because pride is at work. So James in verse six, when he says, but he gives us more grace. This is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. He's letting us know that if we humble ourselves and pursue God's wisdom, grace and favor will be in our lives. If we don't seek his wisdom, then we are prideful and God will oppose us. That's pretty scary, isn't it? God opposes the proud. So if we don't seek his wisdom, God will oppose us. If we don't humble ourselves and seek his wisdom, we will be opposed by God. I can be opposed by a lot of men, women, people, but being opposed by God is a scary thing. The good news is, is there's grace and favor. If we don't seek his wisdom, then we are prideful and God will oppose us. Spiraling lives, dysfunctional marriages, broken friendships, ungodly churches can only happen whereas there is a lack of humility to pursue godly wisdom. In your marriage, are you pursuing godly wisdom? 
Are you humbling yourself? In your friendships, in the church. Simply put, for the past several minutes, um, humility cures worldliness. Humble yourself today. Now as we continue to verse seven, James gives us some imperatives of how we can um, do that this week. Imperatives meaning actions, steps. Verse seven, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So submit, resist, come near, wash your hands, grieve, mourn, wail, change, humble. That's how we live in godly wisdom. See, James is telling us to live in godly wisdom, and then now he's telling us how. Submit, resist, come near, wash your hands, grieve, mourn, wail, change, and humble yourself. Let's be honest though, if we talk about the first one, resist. It's not really easy to resist the world, is it? It's tough. I mean, from birth, we have been conditioned to have a friendship and trust with the world. Our spirit and our flesh are constantly at war. So for many of us, it seems like it's, impossible ta- it's an impossible task to break ties with the world, to break ties with our friendship with the world seems impossible. So James realizes that if we have friendship with the world, now God will oppose us on judgment day. So he's saying take these steps and what must we do first? Not only resist, but submit yourself then to God. James lets us know that friendship with the world comes through submission to God. No, James lets us know that friendship with God comes through submission to God. You guys didn't stop me, are you awake? And then he tells us what submission looks like. If we want to be close to God, then we're supposed to submit to him. Why is submission important? One commentary I read um, had these points about submission to God and why it was important. Submission to God is important because he created us. Because his rule is good for us. Because resistance to him is futile. Such submission to Jesus is required for salvation. And submission to God is the only way to have peace with God. Do you know why you're always in constant conflict or why we're always in constant conflict with God, asking him if he loves us or if he approves of us or if we're doing good enough? Because we know that we've been rebellious. Right? We know that our minds and our thoughts and our actions have been opposing him. If we submit to God throughout the day, we don't have to worry about that. We can live with a clear conscience. So submission is paramount in a relationship with him. Right now, you're submitting to something. You realize that? Right now, in church, while, while you are trying to engage, you're submitting to God's wisdom or earthly wisdom. When you leave church, you're submitting to God's wisdom or earthly wisdom. And you say, well, what do you mean? I've told you again. There's only two kinds of wisdom according to Scripture. So right now you're submitting to one of the two kingdoms, one of the two wisdoms. Which one are you following today? And I encourage you, if you're gonna submit, or as you submit to one, choose the road less traveled. Make that conscious decision. 
take that deeper step in your marriage or your relationship to be held accountable to those higher standards. So James says we submit, then we resist. Now, resisting to me seems like a battle term, like a war term. Resist, fight, don't give up. Resist. When temptation comes, resist, run, fight. Fight. How many of you have resisted evil this week? Resisted temptation this week? Don't give up. Don't give in. And James is talking to the believers. Please also hear what he didn't say when he talks about resisting. Here's what James didn't say. James is saying that we have um, the God-granted power to resist. He didn't say that but that's also what he's saying, right? He's telling us to resist because we can resist. God has given us the grace to resist the temptation in our life. So there's no excuse before God one day. Light and dark cannot mix, right? So the enemy cannot force you to do anything if you have the Spirit of God in you. I don't believe that believers in Jesus Christ, born again believers, can be possessed by the devil. How can the devil live inside of you if the Spirit of God lives inside of you? He can't. So there's no way that a born again believer can be forced to not resist, to give in. So when we actually give in to the enemy, it's not because if we're born again, if we're born again, it's not because the enemy made us do it. It's not the devil's fault. It's because you gave up resisting. You followed the wisdom of the world. So James is saying we can resist. This means that those who even feel like the simple, uh, simplest of believers can cause the enemy to flee by resisting. Hold your ground, resist, and the enemy will flee. When we don't resist, we end up sinning. We end up following our own ways. So James is saying, resist, and the devil will leave. The enemy will flee. Resist, fight, flee, stand strong. The next imperative was this, as he says, look, come near to me. I love this scripture. It's, it, this scripture is so jam-packed. Come near to me and I will come near to you. So drawing near to God also means leaving behind your ways. Until studying it this week, I didn't think about it in that manner. But come near to me means you're leaving something and you're going towards God. What do we also know that as? Repentance. James is telling us right here that as we repent and as we turn to Christ, that as we come near to God, as we leave behind something else, that God will draw near to us. Amen? I think I can say this. You get to choose the intimacy you have with the Father because he's always there. The problem is this, is we're not coming near to him. We're pursuing Buckeye sports. We're pursuing Big Ten football. We're pursuing getting our voice heard. We're pursuing our political opinion. We're pursuing fear. We're pursuing our masks. We're pursuing all of these things, our lusts, our worries, our money, our trips, this, 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 we're pursuing. And, and, and then here's what we give God at the end of the night. God, protect my family. And we fall asleep. 
See, the fact of the matter is, is when God says draw near to me, we can't be headed in the world's direction thinking that we're drawing near to him. What we need to do is we need to stop. We need to repent. And as we draw near to God in our repentance, he draws near to us. It's a promise. If you are not feeling close to God during this season of your life, it's likely because you're deceived in your pursuits and you have to be willing to lay them down and draw near to him, repent and draw near to him. And as a nation, look, we can be in here worshiping and crying out and raising our hands and passionately singing and clapping our hands but our hearts be far from Christ. Drawing near to God just doesn't mean that I sing louder. Drawing near to God doesn't mean I toke and read the Bible. Drawing near to God doesn't mean I just say a protective prayer at night. Drawing near to God means I'm willing to leave all else behind and turn from the direction that I'm going in and turn to him. Do you get it? James is asking us to repent here. And as we repent, as we turn to him, Christ will fill us up. So as, as I considered that this week, I said, God, what are areas you want me to turn from? I'm tired of life being the way that it is. I want greater peace. I want your spirit to dwell in me more. What are you asking me to give up? So it's a promise. It doesn't say maybe. If you draw near to God, he might draw near to you. It's a promise. I love the promises throughout scripture. But not only is James telling us the promise of God here, James is also letting us know that this is an offer from God. What good is submitting and resisting if you have no closeness with the Father? Life is about intimacy with the Father, not deeds. When is the last time you set aside time to be intimate with Jesus Christ? Again, if you're prideful in this moment, you're gonna say, Joey's pointing a finger at me. I'm not. If you're living in humility, you're like, yes, come on somebody. No fingers pointing today. But when have you spent time intimately with the Father? Just you and him talking or you and your spouse talking to him. Look, if humans can create three-way conversations through a phone, God can have a three-way conversation with you and your bride. It can happen. When's the last time you, you just did things out of a pure heart? No obligate, oh my goodness, obligatory duties. Not just reading the Bible but time where you listen to his heart, where you mow the grass to make him happy, where you talk to him for 30 minutes about your life, where you grocery shop with his mind, um, with your mind on his. See, when you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. I remember when I worked for Vernon Funeral Home, buffing their cars going to Ohio State and many things going on in my life and I'm just frustrated like with everything, right? Just whatever, you're um, young and immature and I'm still young and immature, um, but um, I was younger and probably more immature then, but just frustrated with things, mad. And uh, I had an eight hour shift and I'm complaining about it. Um, I'm complaining about making money and having a job. Look how immature I was. <laughs> so I'm up there working, cleaning cars, and I just said, God, I'm tired of this, so um, I'm just gonna do whatever I do today for you. So you got those sponge hands, right? You got all those um, grooves through them. You're down there buffing the car. And some days, your integrity's like, it's good enough, no one will see that. No one will ever see that. And they're gonna take it out later today. So that spot back there underneath the tire, no one will ever see it, they'll never know about it. I'm just gonna let it be and I'm gonna move on to the next task. 
But when I started to do it for God, when I started to say, God, I'm making this day about you, see, that, that, that spot back there meant something. God, I'm offering you my very best today because everything that I do, I'm doing it in honor of you. So I stick my hand through the spokes, the wheels, whatever they are, and I get my knuckles all bloody just trying to get one spot for the Father because I want to be pleasing to him. And then you go out and you cut the grass. And you just missed by about an inch. I mean, mowing grass is fun. He didn't have the zero turn, so you definitely do one of these, right? Turn that John Deere around, and you make sure you get that stripe again. But the perfect stripes were not for my pleasure. The perfect stripes were in honor of God. I want to serve you. I want to draw near to you today. You can draw near to God in every task that you're participating in. See, right now, as listeners of God's word, you have the opportunity to honor him. I know you've thought about some different things. You haven't been in tune with every moment here. God bless you. I'm not in tune every moment that I'm even talking. You're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you start yelling random words. But you know what I can say is, God, I'm sorry. Pull me in. Help me draw near to you in this moment. And as a nation, if we would just stop blabbing what's in our guts out and we just be slow to speak, look at all the wisdom that James has given us. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. And just draw near to God. We're going to know what our next step is. Your next step will be found in the presence of God. Amen? Draw near to him. We have convinced ourselves that our less than half-hearted attempts of drawing near to God is actually what he's asking. What he is saying is to make me the priority. Draw near to me. Want to be close to me. Want to trust me. And then to ask him questions. And to clarify, me is not me. Me is Jesus Christ. This sounds super simple, doesn't it? Make God a priority, draw near to him. Sounds super simple. Want to be close to him, super simple. But many people are too distracted by life that they don't seem to be able to apply them. We can't overlook the simple things. Many people want meat in their life. Give me the meat, give me the meat, give me the meat. Why am I going to give you the meat, whatever the meat is, if you're not going to do the basics first? Why are we going to preach any other message than repentance if we're not repenting? See, you only move up a grade when you successfully complete the test of the past, right? So why do we want 12th grade material when we're in third grade? because there's the nature of us to think that it's cooler to hang out with the 12th graders, right? So maybe we could be cooler if we talk about the Greek and the Hebrew. Maybe we could be cooler if we talk about all the good works that we've done. Or maybe we can just live in the basics and repent and then from there move forward. So let's do the simple things well. So the blood of Jesus enables us to walk intimately with the Father today. Drawing near to him um, does two things at once. It brings us closer to God and it furthers us away from the world. Amen? You see that? See, it reminds me of when Moses um, in the burning bush, right? There was holy land, holy ground, and he couldn't go any further. Guess what the blood of Jesus does now? The blood of Jesus en enables us to be able to be personally and intimately in tune with the Father. It has poured over that holy ground to make us connected in communion with him. I think that's amazing. I think we can move on from that, that point. I believe you guys have heard it. Wash your hands and purify your hearts. 
James says. So out of spending time with Jesus, you wash your hands and you purify your heart. James is telling us to live a life with a pursuit of purity. A goal that we should have is a pursuit of purity before God. He's telling us by God's grace, we have been given the ability to live pure before God and not be double-minded. As a participating church, how many of you guys have just recognized when you're double-minded? Any of you? I have. I'm just like, man, I want this and I want God and I want them both at the same time. I'm so double-minded. Or I said this to Macy and then I said this not two seconds later and she's like, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, she got me. You guys had to be here. (laughs) Right? New people are like, what, who is this weird guy? He must be thinking about something else during the sermon. So wash your hands, pursue purity, don't be double-minded. God has given us that ability to purify our hearts, our minds, our motives, our thoughts, and our actions. James is telling us to take an action. So how do we take this action of not living double-minded? We confess our sins to God, and he will forgive us. We confess our sins to man so that we can be healed. And we repent of our sins and turn to Christ. Then James says, look, grieve, mourn, and wail. Kind of sounds miserable, doesn't it? Grieve, mourn, and wail. Um, Doesn't sound like something I want to do. So James isn't telling us to be miserable. He isn't saying to beat yourself up over your sin. And you know people still do that today? How many of you guys have beat yourself up this week over a mistake that you made? It's within our nature. But James isn't telling us to be miserable in that. Um, We're gonna do communion next week. And in light of communion, one of the things that I was thinking about is, I know many people who, um, who will not take communion because they feel like they're not holy enough. Like there's not, um, like there's still evil within them. Well look, if that's the case that you can't take communion because of that, now, I'm trying to get too many thoughts. Um, If that's the case, then none of us should be able to take communion, right? If it's about our holiness as humans within ourselves before communion, we shouldn't take it. It's not, with Jesus Christ, it's not about our holiness, it's about his holiness in our lives. Amen? So when, in reference to communion, we can take communion because we cling to the blood of Jesus over our life as the satisfaction for our sins. So that's why every fifth Sunday that we take communion, I'm able to be thankful for the blood and celebrate the blood of Jesus and celebrate his body. Because I understand within myself, I am not holy enough, but I'm no longer gonna beat myself up in that. I'm going to receive the blessing of the cross because he is the satisfaction of that. So James isn't saying beat yourself up. What he's saying is take your walk seriously. Don't be so guarded that you don't allow yourself to grieve, mourn, and wail over shortcomings. I'm a serious person. Um, I used to be, um, as a young kid, I was crazy. Um, I remember being out when Honda traffic was um, driving past. (laughs) And I might have uh, invented the twerk. I'm serious. Um, I mean, I'm not even going to get in the position, but I'd get out there just to hear people honk. And I would do the craziest things. And there was just this, ha 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 ha, about me. And you heard how I thought it was funny to um, eat, you know, two dozen donuts in front of my best friend. 
there was just this nastiness about me. Um, and then you get into college and you get into real life and you become a pastor and the seriousness comes over you. And then you almost have to protect yourself, right? So you protect yourself from feeling. Because you're like, if I feel this, I'm never gonna move on. If I feel this, and if, and if I grieve this, and if, and if I stay here, then I'm not gonna move on. But really what I've said to God is I don't trust you through grieving. I don't trust you through mourning. I don't trust you through wailing. And what James is telling us is to feel, to grieve over these things, to allow yourself to wail. And I need to do better at that. I need to do better to feel the pressure of the moment, the hurt in the moment, and I need to allow myself and trust God enough to mourn with others and even with him. Amen? Amen. But to do that, I have to humble myself. So um, James tells us to humble yourself. Let God do the speaking for you. Let God lead you, and you realize you are nothing without him. It's not humility when, um, if I went to my dad and said, hey dad, what chores do you want me to do today? And he said, go clean your room. And then I left and never cleaned my room. Is that humble? It doesn't matter how nice I went to him. Dad, you are the best dad ever. This nice hairline of mine, I, I wish, I mean, it's great. Thank you for giving me that. Thank you for my height and my wisdom, my basketball skills. Thank you for all of that. Now, Dad, what can I do for you today? Well, Joe, I want you to go do the dishes. It doesn't matter how patronizing I was to him and how, how I presented this humility before him. I'm not humble unless I do what he says. All that was fake, right? What James is telling us is to humble ourselves, not be patronizing before God. You can come to church and worship. You can talk about it on Facebook. See, I see all these things too, like, man, if I see that person, I'd beat them up. No, you're not. Like, you see it on Facebook all the time. If I see them, I won't beat them up. No, you're not. Well, Christians lie to themselves as well. I'm gonna preach the good news. Next person I see, or the next homeless person, I'm gonna feed them. No, you're not. Humble yourself and then you might. We are nothing without Christ and we must humble ourselves. And humility and humbling ourselves doesn't just mean in words, it means in action too. That's challenging. So when we leave here today and we're thinking about humbling ourselves, what that means is to humble yourself, you're gonna have to take an action. Sometimes that's repentance at the altar. Sometimes that's saying you're sorry to your spouse. Sometimes that's saying sorry to your kids. Sometimes that's saying sorry to your boss or a peer or your kid's teacher. Humility isn't just a thought process. Humility is also an action. As you humble yourself, Christ will raise you up. Amen? So this week, I wanna ask that you'd find ways to be humble, to do what we've talked about today. Re-listen to the sermon, whatever it takes. But how do we know that we're living a life of humility? Well, um, not only following the imperatives that James has given us, but also um, to do what Jesus says. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. To become hungry for Christ. Matthew um, 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I'm telling you, you cannot you cannot tell me that you're hungry for Christ if you spent more time worrying about the government and more time worrying about Buckeye sports than you have reading his word. 
become hungry and thirsty. What did we talk about? Was it last week? No, two weeks ago, finding the treasure, right? If there was a billion dollars out there, we would search for that treasure. Become so hungry and thirsty for God that you're willing to search it out as a treasure. We must prioritize in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. So all the things that you feel like you need in your life, but God knows what you need. If you seek him first, all those things will then be added to you. We're trying to do like um, shoots and ladder where we just get a shoot around it, right? Or take the shortcut and get to the things that we want. And here's what I want to say. The prize in heaven is not things. The prize on this earth is not things. So if you keep on trying to get to the things, you're actually missing the prize because the prize is Jesus Christ. And the prize doesn't feel like Jesus Christ because you've been so worried about the things that there's no place that I'd rather be than in the presence of God. Better is a thousand days, right? Better is, sorry, better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. You guys remember saying that in the old church? Got all these offbeat Mennonites. Mark, you were on beat. (laughs) Better is one day in your court Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your court. A thousand elsewhere. Jesus is the prize. That's godly wisdom. Anything other than Jesus being the prize. We're deceived by the world. So prioritize him this week because he is the prize. Make sacrifices this week to walk in a relationship with him. Matthew 5, 30. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Prioritize him. Make the sacrifices that are required for you to live in right standing with him. Repent this week. Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Refreshment comes after repentance. Know the scriptures. Matthew 22.29, Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. So if you want godly wisdom this week. Um, Do those things, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Just as we sit here even, Father, in our quiet, may we not rush through it. May we just be in your presence. And that's just what I want to do. Eyes closed. Um, I want to give you a moment, even right now, just to um, connect with God over some things in your life. This might be the only time you do it this week, so just, just take a couple moments. If you need to grab your spouse's hand, whatever it is, connect with God. Father, I ask that you would um, you reveal to us the areas that we are deceived, that you give us wisdom of how you are the prize. Not about what we can do for you, not about what we can build for you, how big of an impact or how much fruit, but the basic of you are the prize to be with you, to love you, to walk intimately with you. Father, break off the strongholds in our thinking Help us be transformed by the renewing of our minds. (laughs) May we thrive as individuals during this season. Forgive us of our shortcomings, Father. Help us turn to you. May your blood pour over us today to renew our minds, 
to give us strength, to give us peace, to help us draw near to you. I pray for just a miracle to happen within our lives today. May you be number one. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.